Well, about 20 years ago, I, uh, I made a big decision, and I got a job with Chick-fil-A. I was 16 years old, and I was just looking for a job. I wanted to sell CDs at Best Buy, because back, back in the day, Best Buys, they used to sell CDs. Kids, that's, that's how we used to listen to music. We'd have a CD player, and long story, they carried a big old book full of CDs, and it was, it was, it was a mess. Praise God for Steve Jobs. But I got, a, uh, I, I got this job at Chick-fil-A because, because really nowhere else was hiring, or at least no one else was hiring me. And so, so I got the job at Chick-fil-A, uh, and, I've, and I've been with them for, for 20 years, close to 20 years now. Uh, now as an owner-operator, but again, started as a team member, worked my way up through college, did all that fun stuff. It was exciting. And if there's one thing that people come to me and, and talk to me about over these 20 years, about why they love Chick-fil-A, Usually at the top of the list is like, you know, I love going to Chick-fil-A because when I come into Chick-fil-A and I say thank you, they respond, my pleasure. It's, 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 what, we've, it's what we've been known for. We've been, we've been known for saying, my pleasure. And so for, for 20 years now, that has become ingrained in my vocabulary, so, you know, if you're, if you're going to come to me and you're going to tell me thank you for something, you know, I will probably most likely reply, my pleasure. If I'm kind of irritated at you, I might say you're welcome. But the reality is, it's kind of it's become ingrained in me to say my pleasure all the time. And so, it's what we require of our team members. We require them to say, my pleasure. Even at the corporate office, if you, if you work at the support center. Uh, and, and you're not customer-facing. It's still required of you to say, my pleasure. It was something that Truett Cathy, uh, a few years before I be- came on with the company, our founder, Truett Cathy, he-, he said, this is what I want our company to be about. And so w- what happened is, you know, it, it caught on, and, 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 and everybody says it now. And so what's interesting, and, and I just want to let you a, a, little, a little secret, a little, little behind the curtain here. You're not going to believe this, but sometimes, just, just sometimes, sometimes I say my pleasure when a guest says thank you, and I don't mean it. I know that's a shock to some of you, but, but sometimes, sometimes there, there are these guests that, that, are, that, are, that are just so unruly, some guests that are, that are just so frustrating, that are so ungrateful, that are so needy, that, that are such a pain in my side, that when they say thank you, I simply reply my pleasure. But in my heart, I don't mean it. I've got team members that do it as well. Like, you know, it's the, usually the young ones, and, and they're like, you know, the guest is driving away a little bit from, from the drive through window, and, and they say thank you, and, and the team member goes, my pleasure. And I'm like, I think you're missing the point, my man. But don't we all? Don't we all miss the point? Because here's the thing. Truett Cathy, when, when he was giving this directive uh, up to our chain, this, this large-scale vision of what our company was to be about, it wasn't just to, to regurgitate some words, my pleasure. That, that wasn't it. We're going we're gonna to build a company around two words. No, it was actually the heart behind it that was more important. It was the heart that says, it actually is going to be the pleasure of the people that work for Chick-fil-A to actually serve people and enjoy it. And to put the cherry on top, we're going to say the words, my pleasure. But oftentimes we miss the point. Oftentimes we get into this robotic uh, activity of simply saying words, my pleasure, with no heart behind it. We miss the point. You know, it's interesting, as we, as we turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, we, we have this famous story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And, and I know that most of us, if you've grown up in the church, you know this story. This story about a busy woman who's busy working, busy doing stuff. She's kind of, she's kind of on autopilot. 
but she kind of misses the point. She's, she's, she's busy serving, but she misses the heart of serving. Much like my team members who, who say, my pleasure without the heart behind it, we've got a, a lady in this story, Martha, who, who is serving. But her, the fruit that's revealed throughout this story shows that she actually doesn't really understand why she's doing what she's doing. She doesn't have the heart behind it. And so we're going to look at this story, this story again that, that, that you all know, you're familiar with, and you've probably heard it preached uh, uh, a thousand different times in a thousand different ways, and um, you, you, maybe you've heard it preached that, you know, you've got your Mary people, you've got your Martha people, and do you identify as a Martha person or you identify as a Mary person? That's, that's not where we're going this morning. I don't, I don't exactly think that's the point of the text, although, you know, oftentimes we can resonate with, with certain individuals in the Bible. Um, I, I think the, the point is this. My, my main point this morning is, is this. Is that the most important thing a Christian can do is pursue Christ and his word. And I think that's the main point here in this story with Mary and Martha. The most important thing a Christian can do is pursue Christ and his word. So hopefully you've made your way to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 38 through 42. Please follow along as I read. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. May God bless the reading of his word. We're going we're gonna to really look at two aspects this morning. We're going we're gonna to look at um, characteristics of a faithful disciple and, and characteristics of a distracted disciple. We have, we have two, we really have three characters here. We have Jesus, we have Martha, and we have Mary. And as, as we go to, to the gospel of John that, that uh, in chapters 11 and 12, we also find Mary and Martha there as well. And, and what, what you find about their lives is they actually are faithful disciples of Christ Jesus. They are Jesus's, some of Jesus's closest friends. And so Mary and Martha are both believers. So we're not looking here at a believer and an unbeliever. We're looking at a disciple who's in the moment being faithful and a disciple here who is distracted. And so you can be a Christian. You can be a follower of Christ Jesus who's walking faithfully. And you can be a follower of Christ Jesus who loves Jesus in the moment, and you're walking unfaithfully, or, or you're walking in a distracted manner. Your eyes are not fixed upon Jesus like we just talked about. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means, that you, turn, it means you need to turn your eyes to Jesus, okay? And so we're looking here at, at, at I, I believe, two Christians, two followers of, of Christ Jesus. And first we're going to look at the characteristics of a, of a faithful disciple, characteristics of a, of a faithful disciple. And, and, and I think the, the aspect of faithful discipleship that comes out here in the text is this, that faithful disciples of Jesus Christ come to Jesus to hear from him. Faithful, faithful disciples of Christ Jesus, they, they come to Jesus to hear from him. And that's, it's a very basic concept, but, but we see this, this example of faithfulness here with, with Mary. Mary is, is, is there. It says Jesus, he goes and he, he enters a village. Kind of gives us the image of what his disciples were doing. In the, and earlier in Luke 10 and in Luke 9 as well, they, they'd go into villages and they'd, they'd proclaim the kingdom and they'd go from house to house and they, they'd enter houses. And, and if the house there was, was receptive of the gospel, they, they would stay there with them. They would dine with them. They would do life with them. They would teach about the kingdom of God. And then eventually they would, they would move on. Jesus, Jesus here, I believe, is coming after them, and he's, he's going in, and he's staying in houses with people that did receive the gospel. He enters a village, and, and, and Martha, she, uh, she lives with her sister, and we'll find in, in Luke, I'm sorry, in, in the gospel of John, also with, with Lazarus. And, but, but Martha seems to own this home, 
and, 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 uh, and Mary lives with her. So Jesus enters Martha's home. Martha welcomes him, it says, in, into, into her house. And it says in verse 39, she had a sister named Mary. Two characters here, Mary and Martha, but first kind of gives a, a description of, of Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That's the description that we get of, of Mary here. First we see Mary, she sits at the feet of Jesus. She, she approaches Jesus. It, it has this, um, this, this idea that, that Mary intentionally made the decision to go sit at the feet of Jesus. And this, this sitting at the feet of Jesus, it, it's really a Jewish position of submission to their teacher. It was very common for a rabbi to, to have students, to have disciples, and, and the way that he would teach, he, he would sit above them or he would stand, and, and they would sit in a lower position underneath his feet. So it, it kind of gives us this picture of, of submission rather than a position of authority or a position of equal standing. Mary is, Mary is coming to Jesus, sitting at his feet, understanding that he is the authority, not her. She's, he's, she's coming to Jesus, understanding that Jesus is the authority, that they're not on equal standing. He's not just his homeboy, not just his friend. You know, we, we tend to love circular conversations. We don't mind circular conversations where, where we can all have input, and we can all give our opinion, and we can all ask our questions. There's a time for that. It's good. We should do that in our church. My, my dog in that. Oftentimes, though, we hate someone in a, in a position who kind of sits above everybody and is speaking at people. In, in the, in the Jesus-disciple relationship, Jesus is the authority. And as a disciple, we must understand that. That, 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 that our input isn't, isn't needed. Jesus doesn't need our wisdom. Jesus doesn't need our advice. Jesus doesn't need our teaching. Je Jesus is the authority, and he is sovereign, and he is all-knowing. And we see this, this falling at the feet of Jesus multiple times in Scripture. We, we already saw it once. Remember the man healed with demons? And then Jesus drives the demons out. And what's, where, where, does the, where does the crowd see this man who's been healed of the demons? Sitting at what? The feet of Jesus. We, we see it... Um, with the, the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears and all that? Where was she? She was at the feet of Jesus. We go to the book of Revelation. We, we see John. He gets this, this image of the glorified Christ. And where does he do? He falls where? At the feet of Jesus. The reality is when, when we get a glimpse of Jesus' grace, when we, when we, get, a, when we get an image of, of, of Jesus' power, as his disciples, it truly is humbling. When we see Christ for who he is, what it does is, is it exalts Jesus and lowers us. It exalts Jesus and, and, and it lowers us. We, we never, ever come to Jesus and think much of ourselves. We really can't get a, a great glimpse of our, our glorious Savior and think, man, aren't I awesome? Aren't I important? Aren't I wise? I'm just so wise. I'm so knowledgeable. I'm so gifted. I'm so this, that, and the other. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give myself some affirmations, and I'm gonna think well of myself. And I'm no. When we come to Jesus, it's just like, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He is holy. He is good. He is sovereign. I'm encountering his holiness through his word. And I'm just like, I, when I really get it, and I mean really get it, not just giving some surface level, not just some surface level reading or, or the kind of seeing that you don't actually have eyes to see, but I'm, I'm talking about when we really see Jesus for who he is and, and his power and his glory and his grace, it's humbling. There's no such thing as a Christian that actually has an accurate glimpse of that and is arrogant or is prideful or thinks too much. It's just, it's impossible. When we see Jesus in his glory, it humbles us. It, it gives us the desire to say, I, I, I must fall at your feet and listen to every word you say. If not, we don't get it. We don't see it. We don't know him for who, who he really is. We don't see him for who he is. But she falls at his feet for his 
for a purpose, and, and that was this, to, to listen to his teaching. It says, he sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Literally, it's, it's listen to his words. Lagos, a faithful disciple, falls at Jesus' feet in a position of humility, in a position of honor, in a position of respect, but, but listens to his word, listens to his teaching. She came to hear what he had to say. The all-powerful king of the universe was right in her midst. The Messiah was in her midst. I mean, it was at that point where she said, i got to hear what he has to say. I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to offer. I I don't have anything to offer in this conversation, Lord. I want to hear from you. When we come as disciples of Jesus, when we come to his word, we come to hear from him. We come to do a few things. We, we, We come to gaze upon his holiness for the purpose of worship. So we're doing right now is part of what we're doing is, is through the preaching of, of, of God's word and, and, and what we do in our individual study of God's word. We gaze upon the text. We gaze upon the word of God for the purpose of seeing the holiness of God, of seeing his attributes, of seeing who he truly is, seeing his actions, just, just seeing the way that the, that, the, that the word describes God. And how good he is, how faithful he is, how sovereign he is. Oh, how he's full of grace and how he's full of mercy and he's full of power and he's full of judgment. We see that and we see this all-powerful God, this one true God, this Trinitarian God. We see this picture in his word. But we don't just, we don't just learn about these things just to puff up our head, just to give us something to talk about at the coffee shop just for something intellectually stimulating for us to, for us to sit around these little white tables and talk about, you know, like, like a, just this, you know, uh, book club, where we come and just give ideas like we're reading, you know, some middle school book, and well, what do you think this means? What do you think it means? Oh, that's, that's an interesting point. No, we don't gaze upon the Word of God and study His holiness to, to stimulate our minds intellectually. That's not the point. The point of studying the holiness of God is worship. Worship. We are to study the holiness of God and respond in adoration, in worship, in love. That is the point. So we come to his word for the purpose of worship. I hope that's why you're here this morning. I hope that's why you're sitting here. I hope you're not just feeling guilted into being here that you feel like, you know, this makes me a better person, or I sinned this week, and, I, and I've got to be here to, to, to somehow atone for that sin and, and, and make it up to God. You know, I did a bad deed, so now I've got to do a good deed. Or you're just sitting here because, you know, you know, Community Bible Church teaches the Bible straight up. We go verse by verse, and, and a lot, not a lot of churches do that, and I just want to know the Bible better so I can be smarter than the next guy. No, that's not the point. That's not the point at all. The point of us studying verse by verse is to see Christ for the purpose of worship. Real worship. Authentic worship. Heartfelt worship. Heartfelt love. Real love. Real adoration. Real emotion. You get what I'm saying here? Is this resonating, church? Not, 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 just, not just right here, but right here. We would actually, as Romans 12 says, be transformed. Transformed means Changed. That we would be actually more like Christ as a result of seeing his good character and see his holiness. And the Christian disciple, the faithful Christian disciple, does that. We approach the word of God for the purpose of worship. But in the context of what we've, what we've talked about the, the, the last few weeks as well, that, that we come to the word of God, that we come to the teaching of our Lord to be transformed by his grace to be equipped for the war. If, if there's nothing that, that, we, that we haven't kind of emphasized over the past few weeks, is this, that we're part of a spiritual war. That, that this is a battle. And that when we come to the word of God, it actually does produce worship. It actually transforms us and equips us for the war. Now, 
I've already mentioned it, but, but if you'll remember, as Jesus sent out his apostles in Luke 9, and he sends out uh, the, the group of, of, of 70 in, or earlier in chapter 10, they would go, and do you remember the message they were proclaiming? It was, they were proclaiming what? The message of the kingdom of God. And, and, and I have no reason to believe that Jesus was talking about anything other than the kingdom of God here. I believe he was wholeheartedly preaching the kingdom of God here in Mary and Martha's house, because that's what he was sending the message of with his disciples and his apostles. So he's talking about Christ building his, his kingdom and his kingdom to, to come, and, and, and I believe he's probably talking about spiritual warfare, and he's equipping, when we, when we study the word of God, it, it equips us for the building of that kingdom. It equips us for the spiritual war. We see this in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. We know this verse, you, you, you've heard it but all Scripture is breathed out by God. This word that we're studying, it is the Word of God. It is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God. Like, if you're new here, I want you to hear this. We, we, this church actually believes this, that this is the Word of God. Straight up. The, the God that said, let there be light. The God that created everything that you see. Like These are, these are actually the words of God. We believe that. Like not, and, and, and when, when, I, when I say that, I mean that literally. I mean that literally. That, that these, are, these words are inspired by God himself. Okay? And, and they're not just, it's not just the word of God. It's not just some vague concepts, but they're actually profitable, as according to, to 2 Timothy 3. They're profitable. The, 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 the words here, they're, they're useful. They're of benefit. They're practical. It's not, again, not just intellectual knowledge. This is, this is useful stuff. It's profitable for teaching. Teaching, again, teaching about God, teaching about His holiness, teaching about His character, teaching about His plan for our lives, teaching about His plan for this world, teaching about His will. It's profitable for teaching. It's profit, profitable for reproof. There's sometimes that the word of God, it comes and it just, it just smacks you right in the mouth. You're like, I'm, I, I, I'm a fool. I'm, I'm an idiot because we come and we're like walking so far from the Lord and we're, and we're, and we're walking so against his will. It's just so willfully. We just, we just do it. We're, we're living a life that we know that just dishonors the Lord. And it's the word of God that just comes up and just pops us right in the mouth. It makes our sin just so plain. And our rebellion against God, just so plain. His word does that. But also correction. It's, it's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction. And there's times where we're just wrong about something. Like we, we, we think one way. And God's like, no, this is actually, this is actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to shine some light on, 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 on you right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ex- expose your error. Expose your faulty way of thinking. I'm going to expose that, that, that you're actually wrong. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to correct your, your error. I'm going to correct your falsehood. I'm going to correct your, your lies. The Word of God does that. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. You want to know what it really means to follow Christ, to, to walk in righteousness, to be a disciple? The Word of God does that. You don't need a training course. You, you don't need some seminar you don't need some overly gifted, charismatic type preacher. Open the Bible. The Word of God speaks, and He reveals how to be trained in, in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. If we're going to be the people that God's called us to be, and do, be on mission, that, that on the mission that God's called us to partake of, the, the mission of building the kingdom of God. If that's our mission, that's our goal, if that's our church, and we're serious about that, you know what? We don't, need a, we don't need a better worship band. We don't need a better preacher. We don't need a better building. We don't need a better sound system. We don't need a better live stream. We don't need a bigger budget. We don't need a bigger staff. We don't need a youth group. We don't need all this stuff. You know what we need? We need, we need to open the Bible. That's what we need. We need to open the word of God and do it. This is enough. Do you get that, church? 
Open the Bible. Because I don't know. I mean, the Bible says here that Scripture equips us for every good work. Now, either we believe that, church, or we don't. Either we believe it or we don't. Now listen, as, as, we, as we look at these aspects of being a faithful disciple, sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus and, 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 and coming to him for teaching, to be, to be transformed for the purpose of, of worship and to be equipped for this, for this battle ahead of us, we've got to understand this, that there is more. There is more to be said about being a disciple of Jesus. There is more than that. This isn't just it. Just coming and, and hearing. But I'll tell you this, there certainly isn't less than that. Heard? There isn't less than that. Like this is like at the very minimum of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. At the very bar, the, like the lowest bar possible of what it actually looks like, practically speaking, to be a disciple of Jesus. Talking about the fruit here. Obviously, to be a disciple of Jesus, it's put your faith in him alone and, and, and you trust in him. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're, that you're saved by reading the Bible. I'm not saying that. I'm saying kind of at the bare minimum of, of when you have trusted Christ as your Savior, like the bare minimum fruit, is what I'm talking about here, is that you're going to, des- you're going to desire to see him and understand him in his word. Bare minimum. Bare Minimum. In fact, spending time with Jesus is at the very foundation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Very foundation. So if you are a follower of Christ Jesus, and you find yourself not spending time with Jesus, see the call today. See the call to trust in Christ, to fall at his feet and to study his word for the purpose of worship and for the purpose of transformation. Next, we're going to look at the characteristics of, of a distracted disciple. Characteristics of a, of a distracted disciple. And that's, that's what we see here with, with Martha. And again, we, we give Martha a hard time, okay? We do. Martha, sometimes we're, we're too hard on her. But again, we're, you go look at John 11 and John 12. Martha was faithful, Okay, so I want to say Martha, even this moment is a bad moment. She's not going to be judged totally on this moment alone. She's, she's a faithful woman. But in this moment, we get a, we get a, a, a bad picture of, of, of Martha, a distracted view of, of Martha. It's kind of like, you know, some of you guys only know me from up here. And you, and you, or you know Matt from up here. And you see us preaching. You see us, you see us preaching with, with power and, and, and all this other stuff. You're like, man, that's awesome. And then you go ask my wife. You're like, well, <laughs> you know, if you saw him this morning... Or you saw him last night yelling at the kids, or whatever. I, you know, I, I'm glad we don't all see each other in each other's worst moments, and I know we're all grateful for that. Here we see a, a bad moment for, for Martha. But I, I do want to, in spite of that, I, I do want to say, look, look at a few aspects of uh, characteristics of, of a distracted disciple. And first is, is this. Their eyes are on their performance rather than their Savior. Their eyes are on their performance rather than their Savior. We, we see Martha here. In contrast to Mary, who was at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching, we find Martha in verse 40. But Martha was distracted. If you're, if you're, if you're going to underline a word here, try to understand it, it's distracted. She was distracted with much serving. She was distracted with much serving. Now, we, we, we can come to this text and we can come with the wrong conclusion. We can come to the conclusion that, that, that she was serving and that serving was the problem. See, serving wasn't the problem. Distraction was the problem. Distraction was the problem. The heart was the problem. It's interesting, you know, I, I didn't bring it up here, but, but I, most of us have an iPhone, most of us have a, uh, a cell phone, a smartphone, and many in my generation, and the generation who is a little bit younger than us, maybe just the generation that's just a little bit above us, where we get convicted a lot because we're so distracted by our phones. Like, I just, 
I feel guilty because my kids are sitting there and I'm on my phone and all of a sudden, you know, a little kid comes, I just feel guilty. I'm, I'm driving and I'm looking at my phone and it's my phone that's, you know, and all of a sudden we, we kind of come to this conclusion that, man, I am distracted because of my phone. And so we start to think this way, that, that, that got, you know, they've got this new phone out. I, I just got to go buy a phone that doesn't have smart technology. Because if I just bought this, this, this phone that didn't have the same type of smart technology, that didn't have Facebook and Instagram uh, or, or TikTok or whatever, that I would no longer be distracted. Because the reality is it's the phone that is the true distraction. You know, mind you, I know there are generations before us who, who kind of came before us, and TV was distracting. So, you know, we just got to throw out the TV because TV's the problem. Or a generation before that, well, it was the radio. It was just the, the family would sit around the radio, and they'd be distracted, they'd consume, consume, consume. The problem's the radio. Or we could just come back here to the first century, and we can find Martha, who's distracted with much serving. You see, the problem wasn't the serving. The problem isn't your iPhone. The problem wasn't the TV. The problem is that our hearts get distracted very easily by various methods and various ways and various things. Here, Martha was distracted by a good thing. She was distracted with much serving. Serving wasn't the problem. The heart with which Mary served was the problem. I'm sorry, the heart with which Martha served. If I if I say the wrong thing, you guys just understand what I'm, you get what I'm saying here. The heart with which Martha served was the problem. What's interesting is, is we can often, in ministry, we can, we can kind of get involved in this little busyness trap, can't we? You ever feel just busy? Even in ministry, you're just, you're just busy. And, and, and a church like, like ours, where, where it's, it's a smaller congregation, and there are congregations that are much smaller, but I mean, we're not packing at 500 or 1,000 people in here. In a church like ours, where a few amount of people are, are, are doing a, a lot of work, and, and then on top of that, you're like, I've got, I've got the Tuesday night Bible study, I've got the Wednesday night Bible study, some folks got the Thursday night Bible study, some, and then the Saturday morning, so if you're on Saturday morning preach team, you, you got that Sundays as well, and then on top of that, stuff happens throughout the week where maybe you bring a meal, or you disciple your kids, or this, I mean, I, I'm just talking the church. It is so easy to get into this just busyness trap where you just go and go and go and, and, and all of a sudden you're like, you're going and you're just, next thing you know, you're, you're at another event, you're at another Bible study, you're, you're, you're just, but, but in reality is in that moment, you're, you have no mind or heart for the Lord. You been there? Like, have you actually ever shown up? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just here and, and, and really... Your heart approaching this corporate gathering this morning of, 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 of public worship, of, of corporate worship, the heart, like, the heart for Christ wasn't even there, not here. It was on everything but Christ. Maybe even in this moment right now, in this moment right now, you're participating in this worship service, but it's just like, I'm thinking about the Braves, I'm thinking about this week, I'm thinking about my job, I'm thinking about school, I'm thinking about my kids, I'm thinking about my house, I'm thinking about my remodel, I'm thinking about my finances, I'm thinking about my health, whatever that is. You're just like, it's so busy. Busy, busy, that we just all of a sudden we go into autopilot. Even good things, church. Even good things. Here's the thing. And God's intent for us in ministry and God's intent for us in serving is not for us to go into autopilot mode. It's not. God's intent for us serving in the church is not for us just to turn off our hearts, turn off our minds, and just go and do for the sake of doing. It's not. That's not God's hope for us. There's, there's, a, there's a thousand ways in which we can serve in the church. There's a thousand ways in which we can serve and stay, and stay busy. We can, we can serve out of guilt. I just, I just feel so guilty. You know, I, I've, I've got to go serve. I feel guilty for my sin. I've got to go serve. I feel guilty because I never serve, so I'm, I'm going to go serve. We, we can serve out of a works righteousness mentality. I've got to serve so that God will love me. I've got to serve so I can be a good person. Or, or I, I've got to serve because, because being a good Christian means service, so I'm going to just grin and bear it. I'm going to, I'm going to pick myself up on my bootstraps and go, and go serve. 
Or maybe we, maybe we want to people please. I, I, I want to serve so that people will think I'm a good mom. I want to serve because people will think I'm a good teacher. I want to serve because people will think I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, just a good person. I, I just want to please people. Maybe we can serve out of self-exaltation. I just want to serve so that people can see my talents and people can see my gifts and they can make much of me. Whatever that is. You know, these are, these are all heart postures that God looks at. And he's not honored. That, that God looks at and he's like, that's not my will for you, Christian. My will in your service is not anything other than just love for the Lord. It's simple. It really is very simple. Listen to this, the, what, what, what we find in Revelation 2, 2 through 4 to the church at Ephesus. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And Jesus says, I see you working. I see you enduring. I see it. I see it. I see it. I, I, I recognize it. I recognize how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found themselves to be false. I see that you hate error. I see that you hate the false teachers. I see you're working hard. I see it. You're doing it. You're grinding. You're running the marathon, my man. I see it. I see it. And I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I see that you can serve and serve and serve and work and work, and you're not even tired yet. I see it. But I have this against you. I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Those are the words of Christ to the church at Ephesus. God's will for us, Community Bible Church, is not that we would just go, 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 go with no love for the Lord, no affection for the Lord, no heart for the Lord. No desire to see him and worship him and praise him and serve him and for his name to actually be magnified to the ends of this earth. God's desire is for us to love him first, primarily. That's God's desire. And if we're honest, we might confess that there's often an affection for the Lord that is lacking in our ministry. If we're honest, it's easy to go hop in the kids' ministry with no affection for the Lord. It's easy to hop in the pulpit with no affection for the Lord. It's easy to hop on the worship team with no affection for the Lord. It's easy to, to serve without affection for the Lord for all wrong reasons. That's not God's will for us, Community Bible Church. It's not God's will. The reality is, we are called to lay it all on the line for the sake of the gospel. We are. Like we are called to just empty ourselves to, to, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are called to mission. We are called to serve. And it's like we are. So it's like, I'm just not going to serve. No, that's the, that is the wrong mentality. That's the wrong response. That is, that is you know, if, if this is one giant side of the, of, of the pendulum, and you've you got to swing it all the way back on the other side with a wrong response. I just won't serve ever. No. No. That's not the call. That's not the call at all. The call, the call is that Christ would change your heart. Lord, I recognize that I often, I often am serving in such a way or, or living in such a way that, that I'm doing, 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 and it might look good to everybody else around me, Lord, but you see my heart, and you were not honored in my heart. And you are not glorified in my heart. Lord, don't change my circumstances. Change my heart. Change my heart, Lord. Give me a heart that treasures Christ. Give me a heart that truly does desire to sit at his feet and to see him and to worship him and to praise him. And as I, and as I, as I go to, the, to, to teach the two-year-olds, as I go to teach the six-year-olds, Lord, Lord, may it be evident to these six-year-olds that I love you, Lord. And I want these six-year-olds to understand how good you are and to praise you. That's God's desire for us, church. Not guilt trip, not it's my turn to, to, to be signed up to, to teach and, and we go in there begrudgingly or you, know, you, you get asked to serve another some menial, what you consider menial ways in the church and, and you just come begrudgingly. That's not God's will. It's not. 
It's that may everything we do be out of our love for the Lord. Amen? Amen. And the reality is, it is first sitting at the feet of Jesus that transforms us to joyfully serve in a way that honors him. It is first sitting at the feet of Jesus that transforms us to joyfully serve in a way that honors him. You see in that gap, the gap between what God's calling us to be and who you are today? Don't do it in the flesh. Fall at the feet of Jesus and gaze upon Christ, see his mercy, see his grace, see his holiness, watch him transform you, watch him take that cold heart that you may have right now and, 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 and set it on fire ablaze with the glory of Christ. May that be your prayer. Distracted disciples don't just put their eyes on their performance rather than their Savior. Distracted disciples also often fall prey to grumbling against the Lord and self-righteousness. They fall prey to grumbling against the Lord and self-righteousness. Now, I know that I preached a fairly long sermon last week on grumbling, and it's interesting that, that, that we find Martha here. She's distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and, and said, she goes up to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we find Martha here, and Mar- Martha's, Martha's fed up, isn't she? Martha's had enough. She's been serving. She's been working. You know, you've been there? Okay, I'm tired. I didn't get much sleep last night. And I'm, and I, and I'm, I'm done. I'm finally going to say something, okay? You know, you know, your mom's had that moment. You know, dad comes home from work and, you know, he's happy and he's energetic because he hadn't been with the kids all day. Maybe he took the clients out for lunch. and It was one of those good lunches. It was one of those expense report lunches, you know what I'm saying, where, where they get the drink and the dessert. And, they, and then maybe afterwards they go shooting or maybe they play golf or something. And, and dad's, dad, you know, comes home and, and then mom has dinner on the table. Kids are fighting. Kids are, and then all of a sudden dad comes in and mom's like, uh-uh. I'm done. Your turn. I'm going to say something about it. You ever been there? I think Martha's there. I think Martha's there here. And in this moment where, where Martha's had enough, Martha, Martha's eyes aren't on Jesus. She starts to grumble against the Lord. Martha basically accuses Jesus of not caring about her. Which again, when we talked about grumbling last week, we said this, that, that grumbling is, a, is an attack against the holiness of God. Here it's a, it really is, is, is an attack against God's care and God's concern and God's love for his daughter here. In, in a way, she's saying, God, Mary's lack of serving offends me. I'm offended by Mary's lack of serving. I'm burdened, and I'm frustrated, and I'm annoyed by Mary. God, if you cared about me, you would surely validate my feelings. You would surely understand that I'm sovereign, that my feelings, they're not to be questioned. My attitude, my heart is not to be questioned. Hear this, Christian. God does not have to validate your feelings. You can feel annoyed and you can feel frustrated. You can feel angry for all the wrong reasons. God's faithfulness is is not based upon how he lines up with your emotions because your heart is often sinful and his heart is holy. But Martha here, she starts to grumble. You know? I'm serving, and, I, and I'm serving in a way, God, that, that, that I deserve validation. Oh, I deserve the glory. And I'm not getting it. I'm not getting what I think I deserve. And look at Mary. She's sitting there getting what, you know, she's not doing anything. She's lazy. She's not doing a, 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 a thing. And I'm just sitting here, and you don't care, God. You don't see me, God. 
It's about me, God. And you just don't care. Oftentimes, as we serve with the wrong heart and the wrong motive, because our desire is to be magnified, our, des- our desire is to be glorified, our desire is to be thought well of, when we don't get that, when we don't get what we think we deserve from God, someone else actually gets it and we don't get it, we grumble against God. God, you must not care. God, you must not be sovereign. The problem's not me, God, because clearly my feelings are right. My desires are right. My heart's in the right place. God, the problem's you. You don't care. We grumble against the Lord. And notice the fruit that it produces here. Mary then stands before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mary stands before the, Martha, I'm sorry, stands before the King of Kings. Martha doesn't fall at his feet in submission. Martha doesn't, doesn't, doesn't fall at his feet in humility. Martha comes and stands before, before Jesus and gives him a directive. Tell her to help me. She stands before the king and gives him an order. You tell him to help me. Not, not, that, that, that is a, the heart of a, of a disciple that is just a grumbler. And a heart that is just so self-righteous and a heart that is so prideful that they could just stand before Christ and somehow give him an order. Those moments where life isn't meeting our expectations, where people aren't meeting our expectations, where ministry isn't meeting our expectations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our heart is not that we demand that God somehow change our circumstances. That's often what we do, though. God give me this. God do this. God glorify me. God do whatever that is. Instead, we should pray that God would give us a glimpse of Christ and change us. Change our hearts. Make us joyful. Give us peace. Give us perseverance. Make us like Christ. You know, as Christ Christ began his, his ministry and he went all the way to the cross, you know, Christ never grumbled once. That's our Savior, church. That's our Savior. Never, never, never grumbled once. Not one time. Give us a glimpse of our Savior, Lord, and make us like our Savior who trusts God. But third, in Martha's complaint, she assumes that her heart is far superior to Mary's heart. Martha assumes that her heart is far superior to Mary's heart. At the heart of many very, very busy people, we find this. The heart to outdo someone else, to outperform someone else, to outperform the other guy, to outperform the other mom, to outperform the other church. And, and, and what we do is we, we really trick ourselves. We do. We, we trick ourselves into thinking that our motives, our life decisions, our pursuits are actually the right thing to do. This is the way. This is the only way. And we criticize others that don't do it our way. You ever done that? I've been there. I'm right. They're wrong. My heart is to posture and, 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 and to position myself to look better. So I have this diet. I have this method of education. I have this house. I have this tribe. I have this whatever. Whatever it is, it's like I just want to look better than the next guy mentality. It's called self-righteousness. It's called self-righteousness, and it doesn't belong in the heart of a Christian. Martha doesn't question at all her time serving Jesus or her time serving Mary. She doesn't question it at all. She doesn't question her heart. She doesn't doesn't question that maybe, possibly, she was wrong. And Mary was right. She just assumes in her own self-righteous heart that she is superior to Mary, that Martha is superior to Mary. Have we ever considered that self-righteousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, church? Do you find yourself growing more and more selfish, more and more self-righteous, more and more impressed with yourself, more and more impressed with the way you do life, the more and more impressed with your decisions and your bank account and your family and your church and this and that? Do you find yourself just becoming more and more impressed with you? 
That's not the spirit at work in you, friend. That is Satan appealing to your flesh and you taking the hook, taking the bait, and swallowing it. It is not the fruit of the spirit. Third, we see this heart of a distracted disciple is this, that their hearts are drawn to the wrong things. Their hearts are just drawn to the wrong things. We see that Martha, Martha was anxious and troubled about many things. After Martha tells Jesus to tell Mary to help her, Jesus says, Martha, 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 you're anxious and troubled. You are anxious and troubled about many, many things. Then he goes on to say this, but one thing is necessary. But one thing's necessary. One thing. You're troubled about many things, but here's the thing, Martha, you neglected the one thing. You've got this whole long checklist of stuff you've got to do. But you neglected the one thing. Just one. Ah, you've done all this other stuff, but you, but you didn't do this. It's like, you know, I did all the coursework, but I didn't register for the class. It is, it's, it's amazing, church, isn't it? It's amazing how many things can make us anxious and troubled, isn't it? Think about your life this week. What's producing anxiety and worry in your heart? Maybe it's a clean house. I just am spending so much time cleaning my house. You think about that. It's good to have a clean house. It's going to get dirty again. You got, you got kids that are going to get dirty in like 15 minutes. How much anxiety that, that, that gives us. You get the baseboards, the sinks, the toilets. That's all I care about. Let's say, you know, you could go, you know, the vents, whatever. Maybe it's, maybe it's your, your finances. Maybe it's that, that constant pursuit of more and more and more and more stuff. The kind of the picture-perfect home that you've got to buy, and in order to buy it, you've got to have this kind of job, you've got to make this kind of money. And there's anxiety about that. Maybe it's our next meal. I, I've, I've just got to, I've got to prepare the perfect meal night after night after night or day after day. My, my kids got to eat this certain type of food with a certain type of diet or, or whatever. It, it's just anxiety. It's, it's, it's anxious. It's just stuff that takes our attention. Maybe it's fitness. I, I've got to look a certain way. I've got to feel a certain way. I've got to, I've got to just pursue this and pursue this. and pr- I, Never mind the fact that our bodies are just going to wilt away and die. We've got to make the best of it. Maybe it's our own, own ambitions. God, I, I've got to be made much of. I, I've, I, I need society to see how good I am. I need to perform. I, I need people to think I'm great. I need to impress my, my family. I need to impress my uh, neighbors. I need to impress my in-laws. I need to impress my church. I, I need to feel important. I need to be made much of. And so when I'm not being made much of, I'm anxious and I'm worried. Students, maybe it's your grades. You're like, I'm taking so much time and I'm anxious and I'm troubled and I'm worried about my grades. And so I'm giving my whole life to get the A. It's interesting, in seminary I had a professor, and I'll never forget this comment, he said, for some of you in this class, he said, it will be a sin for some of you to get an A in this class. For others, he said, it'll be a sin for you not to get an A. Some of you guys want a checklist. I just need a checklist that tells me exactly what I want to do, what, what to do, when to do it, how to do it. I, I just need a checklist, and if I had the checklist, I'd probably, I'd probably, I'd probably do it. I'd probably just, I'd probably stick to the checklist. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. God gave a checklist in the garden. You know what? It consisted of one thing. Don't eat of this one tree. Guess the one tree that they ate of. The tree that God said, don't eat of this tree. 
It's not the checklist. Checklist isn't the problem. Your life isn't the problem. Your, 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 your school's not the problem. Your house isn't the problem. The problem with, a, with distraction and distracted heart is the heart. That's the problem. It's not your circumstances. It's not your money. It's not your family. It's not your friends. It's not your school. The problem is how much worth and value that you put into those things. That's the problem. It's a failure to see Christ and to magnify all these other things far above Christ. That is the problem. Sure, you could sell your house, but you could sell your house by a smaller house and still miss Christ. That's not the call. You tracking? You could get the C, still not see Christ. It's a problem. Do we remember the, the teaching of Jesus in Luke 8, 14 through 15? We're talking about the seed, and Jesus says, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on the way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they don't mature. But the seed on, on the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart. See that? What's, what's, the, what's the difference? It's the heart. Who hear the word and retain it. And by persevering, produce a crop. That's the good soil. That's the good soil right there. The problem isn't the stuff. The problem is what our hearts are drawn towards. That our hearts are drawn to everything else in this world except for Christ. So the solution? What's the solution? I hear, I hear you, Brian. Maybe you look at your life and you're very distracted. No affection for Christ. Your heart might feel cold and, and dull. What's, what's, what's the solution? Well, the solution for the, to the distracted disciple is not to look at Mary. You might think that. I just need to be more like Mary. I need, I, I, and sure, Mary is an example here of faithfulness, but the, but the solution to the distracted, is not, the distracted disciple is not to look at Mary. The, the solution to the distracted heart, to the distracted disciple, to, to, to the disciple who, who is, is so anxious and, and worried and throwing their life away and throwing their emotion away towards, towards a house, towards a career, towards finances, towards vacation, towards fitness, towards, towards good kids, towards good image, towards selfish ambition, to all this is to look to Jesus. It really is that simple. Look to Christ. And Jesus says, you are anxious and so worried about so many things, Martha. So many things, just taking up so much space and room in your heart. But one thing, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. And that's not going to be taken away from her. I'm not going to criticize her. I'm not going to rebuke her. I'm not going to tell her to get up because you know what? She's chosen the good portion. What is the good portion? It is sitting at the feet of Jesus and gazing upon him, church. Gazing upon Christ. The single most important thing, church, in ministry. The single most important thing in ministry is spending time with Christ through his word. Not a very deep point, is it? Maybe you're looking for something deeper. Maybe you're looking for something more impressive. Christian, how are you doing on this? We all want something more stimulating to our minds, something that we can go take to our friends who, doesn't, who don't know as much about the Bible as we do. But listen, listen, listen. The single most important thing in ministry is spending time with Christ through his word. Single most because it is there that we gaze upon Christ. It is there we gaze upon his sufficiency. It is there we gaze upon his glory. It is there that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind as we become, become more and more like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, church. He doesn't work any other way than that. He doesn't. And so right now, Right now, maybe you're looking at your life, and you're, and you're looking at all that you've got. You're looking at this schedule through this week, and you're looking at your evenings, and, and, and you're just like, I, I, I'm just anxious. 
I'm anxious by your sermon because I see what you're saying, and I'm anxious. Your sermon on, on being anxious and worried is actually making me worried because I feel like I've got to go give a bunch of stuff up in order to be a good Christian. I've got to give up sports, or I've, I've got to give up school, or I've got to give up a house, I've got to give up, give up. What do I got to give up, God? That's your mentality right now. I've got to give up something because in order to be another good Christian, I'm anxious because I've got to do more. I've got to give up more. I've got, to, I've got to just pursue Christ by doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. It's not the call. That's not the call this morning. You might think that the call to give stuff up for the gospel is what actually brings peace. I just, the more I give up, the more I give up, the more I give up, the more hope and peace that I'll find. In reality, the work of giving things up can just be another unfulfilling form of works righteousness that leaves you anxious and worried that you haven't given up enough. However, church, perhaps you do need to give things up. (laughs) Perhaps maybe you do. Perhaps your life is so crowded and noisy that you don't make time for Christ. And that's a shame. And that's sinful. And that should be repented of. Oh, just don't buy the lie that you don't have time. Don't buy that lie. We all have time. Every single one of us in this room has time to study the Word of God and to gaze upon Christ. Every single one of us. Yes, you. Yes, you. And yes, you. Yes, mom with eight kids. Yes, businessman. Yes, student. Yes, athlete. You have time. If we don't study the word of God, if we don't gaze upon Christ through his word, it's because we don't want to. And if that is you, confess that. Confess that. But if you do have to give things up, that is the case. Give things up. By faith. What do I mean? Give things up knowing this. That, that, that Christ is who he says he is. And he gives life like he said he would. That you're not just giving up something to give something up. So you can somehow feel superior. That you can feel self-righteous. You can make yourself right before God. Give something up and pursue Christ knowing that like, Christ, you are better. You are Better than this. You are better than the house. You are better than the status. You are better than the finances. You are better than anything else that this world has to offer. And and, and, and I know that because your word says that. And I want to cling to that truth. I want to cling to that reality. I want want to cling to that, Lord. I want to cling to you. And so it's really not giving anything up. It's, it's, It's pursuing the greatest treasure in the entire world. God, give me eyes to see that. Give me a heart to treasure that. That is, that is what we do. That, 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 is, that is the call. That is the call. The call, exactly, you don't even realize it. The call is what we sang about this morning. Turn, church, your eyes upon Jesus. Turn him. Right now, your, 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 mind's, your mind's thinking, I gotta give up, I gotta, I, I gotta stop, I gotta quit. I gotta, no. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn him, church. Look full. Look full in his wonderful face. Gaze upon him. Oh, look at his joy, look at his peace, look at his grace, look at his mercy, look at his power, look at his holiness. Oh, look upon him, look upon his sacrifice, look upon his sinless life, look look upon his death on the cross, look look upon his resurrection, his power, look look at the fact that he he ascended to the Father, that he sits at the throne. Look look that he sent us his spirit, and then he lives within us, and he works within us to to, to do his will and and to obey and to conform us, to, to be like Christ. Gaze upon Christ. Gaze upon his goodness. Gaze upon his sufficiency. Look at his face, and you know what? The things of earth 
will grow strangely dim. All of a sudden, you're going to get to that point where you, you gaze upon Christ, and, and he really is who he says he is, and he really does what he said he would do, and he really does fulfill the longing in your heart that you're looking for. And all of a sudden, what you're going to find is like, oh my goodness, I don't care about this anymore. Or at least I care about it in, in a proportional amount that, that, that just says my, my, my job is meant to provide. My house is meant to provide a shelter and to provide hospitality. Oh, but this God is so good. He's so good. Oh, and he's so worth it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, church. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And may that be our strategy for serving in ministry in this church, Community Bible Church. May we truly, truly gaze upon the, the, the face of Christ, the person of Christ, and may our affections be so stirred that we serve joyfully before the Lord. That we wouldn't just give the lip service of my pleasure, but, a heart, but Christ would see our hearts and say, I truly am their treasure. Amen.